I was in the worship team for the first time, France. They allowed me in. I hope they're not going to kick me out again. Like last time. <laughs> All my sins. Um, I was saying, but hey, well, what about Jesus? They said, you have to make the cut. So it took me a few years and now I'm back. Um, it's great to be with you this morning. Um, in our church, we have, we have a bias towards following the Holy Spirit um, over the following of a traditional calendar. So if the Holy Spirit wants to do something, and if He's busy with something, then we don't necessarily stick to what a traditional church calendar is. You see, the traditional church calendar as it is, it's wonderful and can be used by God in wonderful ways, isn't, you don't find it in Scripture. So it's a nice idea, and it can be used well. But it is not that we have to do it like that. So what we do on, on, on Easter and even around Christmas, if we do anything, is only what we sense the Holy Spirit lead us. And that's what we believe the new covenant is about. And that's the way we do it. So thought to, to, to say that. And then usually towards the end of such a message, then people would say, hey, but it was actually a resurrection message. Because all messages are really resurrection messages, aren't they? Because there would be no power in the message if it wasn't for the resurrection. Amen? But what I have this morning, just as a sign of how these things work, is, um, or at least in my heart, that on Tuesday morning during intercession, we gather at 6 o'clock on a Tuesday morning. If you could join every now and again or make a habit of it, that would be fantastic. But there's a great, amazing group of intercessors that pray here. And there was a... Um, what we prayed about to me was very clear. And it seemed like to me it was God speaking something to us. And I made notes on my phone. And for the first time, really, I decided I think I'm going to preach exactly what we prayed about. Um, and I made notes for Sunday. And then on Tuesday evening, we went to an event, a uh, massive youth event. Well, not only youth, but a massive event uh, where a guy called Andy Bird was from YWAM was speaking, and he spoke the exact same message that I had on my phone. I even showed the people next to me, like, look at this. How cool is this? Now I'm definitely going to preach it on Sunday. So then I will preach the message on Sunday. Do you agree with me rather than to preach whatever I am then called to preach by a church, a church calendar. Um, just to tell you what I mean. So I will preach this message. I struggle when I hear people moan about South Africa. I really do. Something inside me just knows that it's not, like, this is not God. Because I don't see God moaning about South Africa. 
many Christians are blind to God and what He's doing and, be, and, the, and they're hyper alert to the media and the present realities, the predictions of economical and political and crime concerns. And a lot of people actually make life-changing decisions based on present realities and predictions. That's got absolutely nothing or very little to do with what God sees and what God says. So I want to ask you this question to start off with. What, what is your hope for our nation? I'm asking each one of you to think about this. What do you want it to be like in 20 years if you could have your way? What does it look like? What is it you want to see? I can imagine that some would say, well, it would be great if another political party can be in charge, that we would have economic and political stability, that uh, load shedding would be over that uh, crime would somehow be sorted out and that homelessness wouldn't be such a big issue anymore um, and that there's some real progress within poverty and um, the, the what, what do they call it? Those without work issue. And that traditional values would be back again. That we wouldn't fall into the secularized world that we're in and just you know, succumb to all of that more and more. But is that what God sees? Is, is that, if, if God could fix anything, would He fix that? Most people I know would say we need to fix that. I mean, if we need to fix one thing, it's load shedding. Then our lives would be better again. If we could fix another thing, it would be interest rates. If we could fix another thing, it would be, I don't know, poverty. I don't know. If you live in Johannesburg, you would definitely say crime. But is that what God sees? Is that what God says? And then another question is, do you have an instant excitement in your heart when you think about the future of South Africa? Do you, or do you wonder? Or maybe have a negative expectation of it? Because a lot of people you speak to just say, it's, it's going to burn. Right? We are thinking, feeling, doing people. That's, that's, the, that's the way people work. So whatever our thoughts are, they influence the way we feel about something, and that impacts how we do. So we first think, then we react to that by emotions, and then we, we do actually do things, most things, based on how we feel. You can like that or not, but it's still the truth. So how you fix it is what, how you think. And how we should think is we should align our thoughts to the way God thinks. Because otherwise our emotions won't respond to what He wants to do. And then we will end up doing things that accords to the way that we think and feel that's completely misaligned to God. And I'll show you a few instances like that in Scripture. But how do you feel? That's the good measure when you think about the future of our nation. 
And where do you see yourself within that? Because God is sending people from all over the world currently to South Africa prophesying and saying, God loves this place and God is going to move in this place and the world needs us to step up and lead in the world. And they are so excited about South Africa coming here to a group of people that go, what? We have no power. It was an unintended pun that... But God is sending a lot of people saying that. A lot of people are seeing it. And a lot of us are seeing it as well. But what are you seeing? Let's have a look at something. Let's have a look at Hopeless South Africa 2023 versus Hopeless Judea in 30 AD. So the world that Jesus walked, what was it like compared to ours? What did he... What could one see, and what did he see? Now, if you look at our world and some of the things you can see that might cause you to feel a little bit hopeless, you'd, like I said, you'd mentioned the blackouts, you'd mentioned crime, corruption, political instability, a little bit poverty, failing public health services, interest rates, exchange rates, secularism rising, woe culture rising, if you're a Christian. Those are issues that makes one feel like this is not going the right way, and I can't really see how it's going to get fixed. And we think it's bad, and we think that it's, you know, a lot of people are leaving South Africa. Now, I don't want to talk about that today. But the fact of the matter is that you can't just, you can't leave if you're a Christian if God didn't send you. Because the only thing that you're leaving for is for comfort and money. It's all you're leaving for. Most people mask it by calling it opportunities for my children. That's what they mask comfort and money with. Because what does opportunities for your children mean? It means more money for them because they would have a better degree. That's all it means, really. And Christianity has never flourished in a comfortable environment. So, if we follow Jesus, then we follow Jesus. We don't go wherever we want to. But anyway, I'm not going to talk about that. There's a lot of stuff in South Africa that would make a lot of people feel hopeless. But now, the, the world Jesus lived in, Judea, there was absolutely no electricity. How do you feel about that? <laughs> they were being oppressed by the Romans. It's, it's like it was in apartheid for non-white groups in South Africa, just worse, just really bad. They were oppressed in an environment where there's no respect or very little respect for human life at all. They were oppressed by their religious leaders as well. So the people within their midst that were supposed to lead them oppressed them as well with all the laws and things they had to keep and put burdens on them that no one could bear. 
there was ethnic hatred. The Judeans and the Samaritans, everybody just hated each other. Every different group just had a massive issue, and they all kind of hated the Romans, but they hated them separately. There was extreme poverty. 70% of the people in those days lived under what you would call the bread line. There was extreme poverty. There was no health care. There was no health care. So a lot of people who had long-term illnesses were just left outside at the city gate so they could die. Ask, ask for money so you could live until you die so that we don't catch it. There was slavery. Real time where there's no real respect for human life. What you could observe with the eye was worse, I would say, than what we observe with our eyes here. But Jesus never spoke about overthrowing the Romans. Jesus never spoke about changing these things. He saw something else. He saw, when he looked at the crowds, he saw people helpless and harassed, like sheep without a shepherd. He saw hearts of people that needed a savior. That's what he saw. He didn't see problems to fix outside. He saw, he saw problems to fix within. And he saw an harvest that's ready. He said, this harvest is ready. It's ready for harvest. That's what he saw when he looked at it. The people, the Israelites, the Jews, they missed, a lot of them missed Jesus as being the Messiah because they were waiting for a, for a military leader to overthrow the Romans. They read the Old Testament and said, surely there's a lot of scriptures about the Messiah being a military leader. And that's exactly what we need right now. And that's all we can see can help is if someone can come and overthrow the Romans, that will be the Messiah. There were many Messianic revolts in those years. You can go read about it. Before Jesus, after Jesus, guys that somehow some people thought he was the Messiah and he led a military move to overthrow the Romans. It was squashed and soon after nothing came of it. Many. And that's why they also, when Jesus was spoken about as the Messiah, they tried squashing it as well. Do you remember the one, the one clever Pharisee said, what did the high priest said? Don't worry about this Jesus issue. It will just go away if it's not God, like all the others. We didn't even know about the others. But here we are 2,000 years on, and the Jesus revolution is still going. But they missed him because they, what they saw and the solution they wanted didn't make space for the way the Messiah came. And what he saw was really needed. So if you cannot see, like the Pharisees, Jesus said, you can discern the, the weather, but you can't discern the time. You've got eyes to see, but you don't see. And we need to be careful that we don't look and see, and then we don't see what he sees. I wonder what does Jesus see when he looks at South Africa? I wonder how, how different it might be. 
So I want to speak to us about our, our, our eyes, about what we look at, what we see, and how we interpret what we see. There's that story, Two Kings. I'm not going to read it. I'm going to speak about it. Where um, <laughs> Elisha's servant didn't see. He saw present realities. He didn't see spiritual realities. Now, Elisha has had a bad run with servants because the servant he had just before got very greedy. And after Elisha helped someone out and they didn't ask him for anything for that, the servant went back afterwards and said, my master wants something for this. And he took the money. And then Elisha re realized what he did and then said, um, he sent him away. And then he became leprous for the rest of his life. Um, so he just lost the servant to greed. And now he's got a new servant who can't see. And um, I think our God needs servants first that are not gripped by the desire for money. And secondly, servants that after we have given up our desire for money. Secondly, servants that can see what God sees. Those will be helpful servants. For God. So Elisha had servant issues. I think God is as well. But it's never been about the harvest, they say. It's always been about the laborers. So, but in this story in Second Kings, we read that um, there was an army that came against the Israelites. And then every time when the army, when, when the enemy plans something, then God would tell Elisha, Elisha would tell the Israel, Israelite. Um, king, and then he would go and make the moves necessary to counter the move that happens. And so this king couldn't understand how the Israelites knew. And then some of these people told him that it's this guy, Elisha. He hears whatever you say in your bedroom, and he tells it to the king of Israel. And so the king became very upset, and he wanted to go and get Elisha. And he sent his army to a town called Dothan where Elisha was. And Elisha and his servant was there. And his servant woke up early in the next morning, make, making, I'm sure he was making coffee with his bialetti for Elisha when he wakes up. He was up early the next morning, his servant, and he awoke and he looked all around and the whole army was surrounding them, coming for Elisha. How would you feel? Slightly concerned? So, I mean, whatever we're facing, it's not that dire. It's not that clear that you are going to die now. Right? <laughs> and what was Elisha's response to this young man? Elisha rolled his eyes. You could, you could hear he rolled his eyes when he said, Elisha prayed and said, Oh, Lord. That's ro rolling your eyes. Can you see it? Oh, Lord. I pray, open his eyes that he may see. I pray, open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened the servant's eyes, and he saw. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. 
He opened his eyes and he saw the spiritual reality. The reason why Elisha wasn't moved by an army coming against him alone. The servant didn't see, then the servant saw. Now, the rest of the story is really wonderful as well. Um, Elisha then, I'm just telling it because it's, I mean, it's an awesome story. But then Elisha asked God to strike them all with blindness. And then the whole army was struck with blindness. And then he went to them and said, I know where the guy is you're looking for. Come and and follow me. So he led the blind right into the middle of Samaria where the king of Israel was. And their eyes opened and they realized they were all now caught. Um, like the army of Israel is all around them now. And uh, so the king asked Elisha, should I kill them? What should I do with them? He said, no, prepare a feast for them and send them away. So the king prepared a feast for the enemy right there. And he sent them all away. And he said they, n- they never bothered Israel again. The fear of God was on them after that meal. That's a beautiful story. But with what eyes are you looking when you look at our nation? Do you see like Elisha? Do you see like his servant? And do you maybe need your eyes opened like his servant to see what God is doing? Because God's doing stuff. God's busy with stuff. But you need to be in the spirit with God to see it. And when I hear people and I hear them ranting about stuff going on, about I'm not sure where this is going and I'm not sure this is going to be good and that's going to be good, um, da, 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 da. I'm concerned with the way we see. It's, is it over now, Lo? It, it's still going. Is it all good? Okay, is he, is he convicted? That's fantastic. Okay. And I think many of us might be surprised to hear that it is not God's primary agenda to fix the electricity crisis or reduce poverty and crime. This country might burn. But what is that to you? Rome was lit, literally, by Christians that was burnt on the, on the staple in the night. Nero lit up the town by setting Christians alight. That didn't mean the Christians had to run away and find a better life. They were being set alight. Even if it burned, they were there. So what kind of a faith do we have? What kind of a faith do many Christians have to say, well, if it burns, I'm definitely going to be gone before that. Because what about my children? Well, what about the children of that guy who was burned at the stake? They had a father in heaven, those children. And they had an example to look up to of someone that lived in a different reality that you won't find and won't be encouraged to if if you're stuck in the headlines. And listening to what other people are saying. 
Ephesians 1 verse 18 to 19 says, it is Apostle Paul saying, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling. The hope of his calling. That your eyes may see the hope of his calling. His purposes fulfilled in the heart of man. That's, that's what the hope of his calling is. That his purposes will be fulfilled in the heart of man. Because if things change in the hearts of men, then it will affect society. So, our hope should not be for society to change before we are all in and before we are really positive and before we take hold of it. Our hope is not for that. And if that goes from bad to worse, then that shouldn't really affect us or our joy at all. Because if it just goes worse, if the EFF comes into power and most of us think that'll be a bad idea, I think most of us would think that, maybe not all, but or if, whatever you think, and there's a war in our country, would you leave? Oh, because it's not good now anymore. It's a mess now. Are you looking with the eyes? Are you, are you looking with natural eyes? Are you looking with God's eyes to see what's really going on? and what he's really busy doing. Our emotional state about our nation shouldn't be related to what is going on here at all. And your prosperity financially, and even your comfort and your safety, should not be our concern. Because when God does impact hearts, then society does change, not the other way around. That's what you call revival. So on the one hand, I'm calling you to see, to ask God so that you would see what He sees. And on the other hand, I'm asking that you would stand up and with what you see, that you would take ownership of it and fulfill what God has called you to within that. So, Do you struggle with what you see? Do you have healthy spiritual eyes? Do you need God to open your eyes? Are you like the, the people that Jesus spoke about saying, seeing you don't see? Do you know what it is that God is busy with? If I'd ask you. Because many of us, I know you know exactly what's going on in the headlines. Politically, economically, you know. Do you know what God is busy with? Do you see that? Or do you discern the weather but not the times? So let's pray for our eyes. Let's repent for looking with worldly eyes, negative eyes, fearful eyes, comfort-seeking eyes. And I just want to ask that if there's anyone that I can pray for, that as you sit right there, just raise both of your hands and surrender and say, God, I realize I'm seeing with, I, I realize I need to have my eyes open a little bit. 
If that's you, would you raise your hands and I'll pray for you. Father, like Elisha asked, I asked that you would open up our eyes so that we can see. So that your servants' eyes will be open so that we can see what it is that you're busy doing and what is the hope of your calling. I pray for that in Jesus' name. Father, collectively and me included, Lord, I repent, Father, for, for seeing with my natural eyes and making, coming to conclusions my natural eyes, without consulting your spirit on it. I pray that you would take us into a different realm, a realm where we see what it is what, that you are doing, and that we'd respond adequately to that. Would you show us, Lord? With every eye closed, you can just close your eyes and just be in this place where you're connecting with God. just want to ask, are you willing to live in darkness for those who need the light? Are you willing to live in poverty to reach those who are poor? Are you willing to live in unsafe areas for those who are not saved? Are you willing to risk it with your two children for two million other children who are at risk? Are you willing to be called to Cape Town, to South Africa, even if it burns? Lord, open up our eyes, excite our hearts, give hope to us so that we can see your glorious plan of salvation unfolding and that we can align with it fully and run with it fully in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to ask Franz if you could maybe Lead us in a ministry song. I want you to take the time to ask God to show you what He sees when He looks at Cape Town and when He looks at South Africa. Write it down if you have a journal. Ask God what it is that He sees. Because the world really needs South Africans to step up. And one of our Achilles heels that causes us not to is that we get negative and we moan. We get critical. And, that, and then we don't step up as the leaders the world needs. But if, if we had realized that we actually positioned one of the best training grounds in the world, when you travel the world, you realize South Africans have a way of really seeing things that other nations do not. Because we grow up 
seeing all, all angles of life. We grow up seeing from the richest to the rich to the poorest of the poor. We know what the Western mind thinks like, what idols it has, the way it works. We understand the African and to a large extent the, Indi the, the, the Eastern way of thinking and its idols. We can slot into most contexts very easily and it comes naturally. We grew up with inequality and with the differences that we had to deal with from a young age to understand it. We have to work hard because we don't get education and healthcare and work opportunities for free. We need to make it happen, even though it's available. Right? Many places in the world do not have access, A, or B, they have free access to do everything. We know what it is to work hard. We also know fear. We're confronted with it. We deal with it on a daily basis. And we've got amazing churches that really does solid discipleship. And we're forced to find innovative solutions the whole time to persisting problems. We're positioned to be the leaders that the world needs. But the training ground is just perfect. So don't run away from it. Because I believe that real leaders are, real leaders are forged here. So, you can sing with us or you can do business with God. I want you to ask Him what it is that He sees and to open your eyes. Let's do that. <laughs>